You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is Islanders Award Winners a monthly podcast examining seasons in which a New York Islander took home a major NHL award. I'm your host, Dan Saracini. In this episode, we'll focus on Brian Burrard, who overcame controversy and chaos to be named the NHL's Rookie of the Year in 1997. Lighthouse Hockey is SB Nation's home for New York Islanders news and discussion. You can subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching Lighthouse Hockey in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or any podcasting app of your choice. Or you can listen right from our website at www.lighthousehockey.com. Please leave us a review on iTunes if you can, as it really does help raise our profile. And as always, thank you for listening. And now, on to Brian Burrard, Calder Trophy, 1997. We call him the Riverboat Gambler. He'll step up on almost any play. He's going to be a real good one someday. Islanders defenseman Dennis Vasky on rookie teammate Brian Burrard, November 1996. Brian Burrard came to the Islanders the way a lot of players did in the mid-1990s, through a convoluted series of trades engineered by general manager Mike Milbury. But let's start at the beginning. Born and raised in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, Burrard came from a large working-class family that never pushed him in his athletic pursuits. They never really needed to. The kid was a natural. His father, Wally, called Brian a self-propelled kid, and athletic genes ran on both sides of the family. Brian played other sports, but really excelled at hockey, from youth teams to peewee leagues to travel teams. He idolized Mario Lemieux, and although he played defense, coaches, including his own dad, weren't shy about putting him at forward if his team needed a goal or two. 
Berard won tournament MVP trophies, and watchers told his parents that he was going to play in the NHL. He earned a scholarship to Woonsocket's prestigious Mount St. Charles Academy, which had already produced NHLers like Brian Lawton, Matthew Schneider, Keith Carney, and Garth Snow. Berard helped Mount win three straight state championships in the middle of a run of 26 straight titles that ran from 1978 to 2003. Berard left the school after his junior year when he was selected 16th overall in the 1994 Ontario Hockey League draft by the Detroit Junior Red Wings. In 58 games, the 17-year-old had 20 goals and 55 assists for 75 points. The totals were good enough to make Berard the first player to win the Max Kaminsky Trophy as the OHL's Most Outstanding Defenseman, the M's Family Award as OHL Rookie of the Year, and the Canadian Hockey League Rookie of the Year Award all in the same season. Berard added four goals and 20 assists in the playoffs as he and the Junior Red Wings advanced to the final of the Memorial Cup, losing to the host Kamloops Blazers. He was also selected to play for Team USA at the 1994 World Junior Championships. By this time, the legend of Brian Burrard had started to make its way around the junior hockey ranks, as did a catchy nickname, the Rocket from Woonsocket, and he most definitely caught the eye of many NHL scouts who pegged him as a possible first overall pick in the 1995 draft. The fact that we know very little about the players being chosen, that's because nearly all of the players being drafted are just 18 years of age. However, there are a couple of players who stand out and should be the top picks this year. Now, the top prospect is Brian Burrard, a left-handed defenseman from Rhode Island. Burrard was the Canadian Hockey League's Rookie of the Year and the Ontario League's top defenseman, 6'1 and weighs 190. The top Canadian-born prospect is Wade Retton, who's also a left-handed defenseman. He's from Saskatchewan. The one thing scouts say about Retton is his tremendous understanding of the game. Most believe he'll end up as a number two pick. And the top European in the draft is from Finland. His name is Aki Pateri Berg. Guess what? He plays defense and also shoots left-handed. He's 6'3 and weighs nearly 200 pounds. Holding the first selection that year were the Ottawa Senators, who were still in their early league laughingstock period. Choosing a unique offensive defenseman in Burrard was basically a no-brainer for them. By the way, by the time of the draft, the Junior Red Wings had renamed themselves the Whalers. It's a long story. Big John Ferguson, former Montreal Canadian tough guy, general manager with the Winnipeg Jets, the New York Rangers, makes his way to the podium with the black Ottawa Senators jersey. I don't think there's going to be any surprise here, Paul. Their young man is Brian Burrard from Woonsocket, Rhode Island, member of the Detroit Junior Red Wings. Welcome, great fans of Edmonton. The Ottawa Senators are pleased and proud to select with the first pick overall this year from the Detroit Junior Whalers, Brian Burrard. Brian Burrard, the Canadian Hockey League Rookie of the Year, a take charge, aggressive defenseman. There are some concerns about his hockey sense and whether that can be developed. Well, what he is, is he's a be-the-difference kind of hockey player. When he's on the ice, he wants to end the game or win the game right there. And John Ferguson said in all the years he scouted, he's never seen anybody go from hero to goat and back to hero so quickly. He's a cross between a Brian Leach and a Chris Chelios. He's got the edge of a Chris Chelios, a very feisty guy who doesn't take any nonsense. He's also got the great skating ability and some offensive flair like Brian Leach. No one can guarantee that he's going to be as good as Brian Leach or Chris Chelios, but he has those kind of qualities, and John Ferguson believes this guy could be a star in the National Hockey League. It's his moment. Brian Burrard, the young American, said he has absolutely no qualms whatsoever about playing anywhere in the National Hockey League. 
including Canada, and especially in Ottawa. The last place overall team, team struggling very hard to carve an identity for itself that isn't as a loser. Picking second that year were the New York Islanders, who did indeed take Western Hockey League defenseman Wade Redden. Redden was less dynamic offensively than Berard, but was a solid all-around defender type who also looked like a sure thing. Finnish blue liner Aki Berg was selected third by Los Angeles. While Berard was happy to get selected by Ottawa, there was still a matter of signing him to a rookie contract. And that's where things got rocky. Still smarting from the Eric Lindros Quebec Nordiques draft fiasco of a few years earlier, concerns were high that maybe the high-scoring American would balk at playing in Canada's capital, which is also one of the league's smallest markets. But the real issue was money, specifically bonus money. Berard's agent was former NHL player Tom Laidlaw, and the two felt that Berard should be paid commensurate to other top picks in the draft, like Eric Lindros. Laidlaw and Berard were asking for the maximum rookie base salary, plus a host of performance bonuses that could have increased his salary to a possible $3.6 million per season. Sure beats taking home 40 bucks a week in junior. Senators GM Randy Sexton haggled with Laidlaw for months over the structure of Berard's salary, and no contract was signed. Berard still didn't have a contract when he attended his first training camp with the Senators in September of 1995. Fully expecting to play in the NHL right away, Berard was surprised to find himself sent back to his junior team by Senators management for more instruction. Concerned with the direction of the franchise that held his rights, Berard officially asked for a trade out of Ottawa. Meanwhile, on Long Island, one of the NHL's other laughingstock franchises was having its own problems. 1995 had been an abject disaster for the New York Islanders. They finished last in the Atlantic Division and second to last in the East, ahead of only the Senators. GM Don Maloney swung a misguided trade, sending leading scorer Pierre Turgeon and defenseman Vladimir Malikov to Montreal for the aforementioned Matthew Schneider, prospect Craig Darby, and Canadiens captain Kirk Muller. When the swap was made, one player didn't show up at his new office. Muller was upset at being moved after Habs GM Serge Savard promised he wouldn't be traded. Although Maloney denied it when he covered for Muller, it was clear that the hard-nosed forward was definitely not thrilled with being traded from a recent Stanley Cup champion to one of the NHL's dregs. Muller eventually came to the island when Maloney made the unusual concession to work on trading him someplace else. All summer, Maloney was unsuccessful in finding a taker for his disgruntled star. When the team got off to a 2-11-2 start, Maloney decided it was in everyone's best interest if Muller wasn't around and suspended him with full pay until a resolution could be found. Less than a month later, time ran out on Don Maloney. He was fired by Islanders management and replaced by the coach he had hired earlier that summer, Mike Milbury. Bringing in Milbury was considered somewhat of a coup for the Islanders in 1995. His pedigree from playing for and coaching some damn good Bruins teams meant he commanded respect. And the fact that he left Boston College without even coaching a game for a position as an analyst on TV before taking the Islanders job didn't seem to bother anyone. Milbury was an experienced championship-level coach, who was also a loudmouth, a hard-ass, and a taskmaster, allegedly just what the listless Islanders needed. Now just three months into the season, Milbury was both coach and GM, and he had a bunch of big problems on his plate. His team couldn't win, his star player was suspended, 
and they were wearing some new uniforms with waves and a bearded fisherman on them that you may have heard didn't go over very well with customers. Milbury tried to recall Muller, but the player refused to report and was suspended again, this time without pay. While his roster still could barely win two games in a row, Milbury managed to piece together a trade that made three teams very happy. On January 23, 1996, the Islanders acquired Berard from the Senators along with goalie Don Beaupre and forward Martin Straka for Wade Redden and goalie Damian Rhodes. Rhodes had been acquired from the Toronto Maple Leafs with enforcer Ken Belanger for Beaupre and, you guessed it, Kirk Muller. There was a little bit of a holdup while Milbury and new Senators GM Pierre Gauthier worked out the bonus clauses in Straka's contract. But when it was all said and done, Muller returned to Canada to play for a contender, the Senators swapped one highly touted holdout defensive prospect for one that would actually play for them, and the Islanders got a blue-chip franchise player that they could build excitement around. Removing Muller from the equation didn't help the Islanders much. They once again finished last in the Atlantic Division and had nothing but the future to look forward to. Thing was, that future was very uncertain. For starters, Milbury had to actually sign Berard to a contract. There was a media luncheon with Berard in Detroit in early March, where he said he had, quote, full confidence in his agent making a deal with his new club. When his second junior season was finished, he totaled 31 goals and 58 assists, both improvements over his rookie numbers, and won a second Kaminsky Trophy as the OHL's best defenseman. But the impasse with the Islanders would drag on for months, even through the 1996 draft. Not only hadn't they signed Berard, but restricted free agents and top-line players Zygmunt Palfi and Travis Green needed new deals too. The fact that he wasn't actually signed yet didn't stop multiple local writers from comparing Berard to the best offensive defenseman in the game, like Brian Leach and Chris Chelios. Of course, the name Dennis Potvan was invoked very frequently, just to whet the appetites of thirsty Islanders fans. Unfortunately, Berard's prospective coaches had other ideas. Both Milbury and assistant coach Rick Bonus, who had been Ottawa's head coach when the Senators drafted Berard, talked openly about changing the players' possession-dominated style. After the trade was made, Bonus said, quote, Young players have to be taught to come up late as opposed to leading the rush, being the first guy in the forecheck and being the last guy back. He has to learn to make some changes in his game. As a coach, you never want to put the reins on him and hold him back. But there are times to do it and times not to. End quote. Milbury, as usual, was even more pointed in his criticism of the player he called, quote, a Mustang who needs to be tamed. The GM actually told reporters, quote, I can't think of anything worse than having a combination of Chelios, Leach, and Potvan. End quote. Spot on again, Mike. Finally, on June 25th, 1996, Brian Berard and the New York Islanders agreed on a rookie contract. Milbury said he gave Berard and Laidlaw ample opportunities during negotiations, but, quote, gave in to their bonus demand. Details weren't disclosed, but reporters said Berard stood to make over $6 million over the three years of the deal. Bonus conditions included winning the Calder Trophy, finishing as a finalist, placing on the NHL's all-rookie team, or hitting a certain amount of goals or assists. A photo op was held in which a ponytailed Berard signed the contract in front of the media, flanked by his new boss. Milbury wanted to make sure everyone knew the Islanders were spending big bucks on their Mustang. We wanted to make sure he was the highest paid player of that draft. After all, he was drafted first. But for him to make all that money, in the end, he still has to produce. 
end quote. Berard said that signing took a load off his mind and that he was looking forward to coming to Long Island. He wasted no time in getting to know the community, playing with his new teammates in a charity softball summer tour. They played against law enforcement groups, Newsday sports writers, and wore blindfolds in a game against a blind softball team, all to benefit various programs. When Islanders training camp kicked off in September 1996, Berard was ready to get to the NHL. He was so serious about being a pro that he cut off the ponytail because he thought, quote, it was the right thing to do. He kept his expectations realistic and just wanted to get to work. Quote, my attitude is to be quiet, play well, and do what you have to to make the team. Basically, all I want to do here is make the team. End quote. His team, though, wasn't really ready for prime time. Milbury spoke open and often about allegedly attempting to acquire Blackhawks center Jeremy Roenick, but no deal materialized. The GM was also unable to sign Palfi and Green, two of the team's few offensively inclined forwards, and they were still at home when camp began. The roster was incredibly young, particularly on defense and in goal. 21-year-old Eric Fischow was the nominal starting goalie behind 19-year-old Burrard, 21-year-old Brian McCabe, and 22-year-old Kenny Janssen. The three defensemen had formed a quick, close friendship despite their differing backgrounds and styles. McCabe was the rough-and-tumble Canadian, Janssen was the cerebral Swede, and Burrard was the flashy American. Milbury thought the three would be the core of what, quote, could be one day the best defense in the National Hockey League, end quote. Outlooks for the upcoming season, however, were not kind. Newsday's John Valenti wrote on the eve of camp that the 96-97 Islanders were, quote, a faceless and unproven bunch. Even signing Palfi to a two-year, $3.1 million deal just before the season opener didn't help. Jim Smith of Newsday predicted the Islanders would once again finish last in the Atlantic, saying, quote, another write-off year, no chance of playoffs, end quote. On the plus side, a few talking heads at ESPN thought more highly of the Isles. Bill Pito, Bill Clement, and Al Morganti thought Berard would take home the Calder Trophy as Rookie of the Year. Former goalie Darren Pang picked Fischo for the Calder because of course he did. Pang and Morganti also picked Milbury to win the Jack Adams Trophy as Coach of the Year. Think about that for a second. The Islanders entered the season with the NHL's lowest payroll at less than $14 million in total. Milbury admitted that he had been given a budget to follow, while ownership, aka absentee owner John Pickett, and the four minority partners known as the Gang of Four that ran the team's day-to-day operation, admitted that the team was in a rebuilding mode. Everyone admitted that the low attendance at Nassau Coliseum was also a problem. Still, in spite of all that, Milbury beseeched reporters on the first day of camp to quote, Give us a chance. They lost their first game of the 1996-97 season, one to nothing to the Los Angeles Kings on the road. Milbury lauded the team's efforts, and Fisho made 38 saves. A night later in San Jose, they gave up the tying goal with 15 seconds left to settle for a 2-2 tie with the Sharks. Milbury ripped his players for failing to clear the puck and said, quote, "I may have a heart attack before the year is out." End quote. Brian Burrard earned his first NHL point in that game with a primary assist on a Derek King goal. Two nights later in Ottawa, they gave up the tying goal with 1.5 seconds left and again missed out on a win. Burrard was booed by the Corral Center fans whenever he touched the puck and spent most of the third period on the bench apparently because of it. 
The home opener of the Islanders' 25th anniversary season was on October 12, 1996, and the win over Philadelphia was as cathartic as it was enjoyable. In front of a packed house with a host of alumni and sporting their new third jerseys featuring the team's classic logo instead of the hated Fisherman, the Islanders whipped the Flyers 5-1. Travis Green had finally agreed to a one-year, $1.2 million contract and had an assist in his first game back. Also enjoying the party was a 32-year-old Dallas-based businessman who one day earlier had agreed to buy 90% of the team from the distant John Pickett pending the approval of the NHL's Board of Governors. That wealthy businessman's name was John Spano. Okay, look, we all know how this Spano thing shakes out. He starts the season as the Islanders' savior and ends up by turning himself into authorities for bank and wire fraud. But Spano's deceptions were unknown to fans and even players until after the season ended, and that's how they'll be handled here. Back to the home opener. Berard had two assists against the Flyers and enjoyed as good a home debut as everyone else. But one Islanders veteran took the rookie aside afterwards and told him, quote, don't think they're all like this here. Whoever said that knew exactly what he was talking about. The Islanders would go winless in their next six games, accruing four losses and two ties, and continued to showcase their inability to close out opponents when they had a lead. Berard had two assists in a 2-2 tie against San Jose and recognized what was happening when the games got late. Quote, a one-goal game, late in the game, we just seem to tense up. It's frustrating because we've got to be loose. We've got to learn to be loose. Instead, we're tight, we make mistakes, we lose leads. End quote. A 5-3 loss to the Maple Leafs on Halloween was especially ghoulish because it was the Islanders' first game against Kirk Muller, the erstwhile star player who, in a sense, helped them get Berard in the first place. Muller was quiet on the ice and unsurprisingly was booed and shouted down throughout the game. At points in the third period, Berard was played at left wing for the first time in his NHL career. Except Milbury wasn't doing it to Goose's team's flaccid offense. Newsday's John Valenti asked the coach if the position change was a punishment for Berard's freestyling on defense. Milbury's response was, quote, I hope he didn't take it as a compliment. They got back on the winning side with back-to-back victories over the Caps and Flyers. Although the points weren't coming as quickly as he had hoped, Berard felt he was making progress. Quote, At the beginning of the year, Mike made me a deal. He said, You can play in your offensive end if you play in my defensive end first trying to get to know what I'm doing defensively before I go offensively, end quote. He had an assist on a Derek King goal in a 1-1 tie with the Rangers that featured yet another blown lead late in the third period. Then a 4-0 loss to the Devils kicked off a 1-3-3 slump. Milbury missed that game while off on a scouting trip, something he would do throughout the season. Assistant coach Rick Bonus ran the bench during Milbury's absences, And while he had head coaching experience in the NHL with three different teams, his record at that point was 83 wins, 227 losses, and 33 ties. Regardless, Bonus didn't exactly deviate from Milbury's game plan. He lamented his defenders' reluctance to communicate on the ice and told them so in practice. Berard was on board with the idea, but also had concerns. Quote, I should probably be doing it a little more, but I don't want to say something, a mistake happens, and then it's my fault. End quote. The growing pains continued. Berard earned his eighth assist in a loss to Ottawa, but was caught up ice for a goal against midway through the third period. In their next game in Anaheim, 
a soft pass out of his own zone led to another goal against in a 2-2 tie. That game was the first for New Islanders center Brian Smolinski, who was acquired two days earlier for defenseman Darius Kasparaitis and forward Andreas Johansson. Not only was the 24-year-old Kasparaitis a fan favorite and a link to their last successful playoff run, he was also one of the most veteran members of the Islanders' defense. His trade to the Penguins meant more ice time for Berard and others, but it also robbed the team of a lot of its personality. Berard was beaten on Valerie Kamensky's game-winning goal in a 3-2 loss in Colorado, another game choked away. One night later in Phoenix, he finally scored his first NHL goal in the first period of a 3-3 tie with the Coyotes. He also had two assists as the Islanders built a 3-0 lead that they, surprise, surprise, blew in the third period. It was their seventh blown third-period lead of the season, and the third time they gave up the tying goal in the final 17 seconds. Berard was benched along with partner Doug Huda for the majority of the third period, and Milbury's explanation was, quote, we didn't need him for offense at that point. Milbury might have been trying to shelter his valued rookie after his recent defensive gaffes, but whatever his reasoning, the plan clearly didn't work. Back from the road trip, Berard had an assist in another home win against the Flyers in front of a Nassau Coliseum crowd, including once again John Spano, who officially announced his $165 million purchase of the club. Maybe they were basking in the glow of their new money bags owner, but the Islanders went on to enjoy a 6-2-0 stretch, which would be their most successful run of the season. Berard was particularly on fire during the eight-game streak. He had a goal and an assist in a loss to the Sabres, two assists and a win over the Flames, a goal and two assists in an 8-2 route of Phoenix, and a goal and an assist against the Rangers. Second period, Rangers up 1-0, great passing. Travis Green dumps one to Brian Berard, who goes top shelf here for the power play goal game, tied at one. Still second, Nicholas Anderson. Hesty in the crease, knocks in the loose puck, 2-1 Isles. Isles on fire. In the second, Anderson passed to Brian Smoliski, who deflects it past Glenn Healy, and it's 3-1 Isles. They got six in the second last night. They're on the way to getting four in the second tonight. Zygmunt Palpy walks in alone and slaps one by Healy. 4-1 at the end of the second. Oh, my. 5-3 was the final. Ziggy Palfi, two goals, number 19 and 20. Although he and Milbury still disagreed on the value of defensemen carrying the puck, the rookie and his coach were feeling good. After the Coyotes game, Milbury joked with reporters about Berard's performance, sarcastically saying, bad contract, boy. By early December, and despite a slow-ish start, Berard had taken the lead in assists among NHL rookies. And the Islanders, despite a very slow start, had built their record to 10-11-8, closer to 500 than anyone thought they'd get before the season started. When we come back, Brian Berard separates himself among NHL rookies as the Islanders push to outpace their meager projections. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. After climbing to within a game of 500, the Islanders crashed. They proceeded to lose 12 of their next 16 games, going 3-12-1 with one overtime loss. In a 4-1 loss to the last place Tampa Bay Lightning, Milbury tore into his team, apologizing to fans for an embarrassing effort and saying, quote, I can't send them all down, I can't trade them all, but that kind of loss cannot be tolerated. It's the worst loss we've had since I've been here, end quote. Only goalie Tommy Sallow, who had supplanted Eric Fischo as the starter, was spared. But the insults got the players' attention. They won their next game 4-2 over L.A., with Berard collecting a pair of assists. The price, though, was high, as Palfi, who led the Islanders with 20 goals and 17 assists in 31 games, suffered a broken right shoulder. Palfi would only miss one game, but things got even uglier, particularly for Berard. A 5-0 loss to the Flyers, in which he was a minus 3, preceded a defeat in Dallas, in which he and McCabe were split by Joe Neuendijk, who scored the game-winning goal with less than two minutes left. In overtime against the Panthers, Berard fell down at center ice, allowing Ray Shepard to score the winner. The entire team was looking forward to a break, and Christmas came at the right time. Berard spent a couple of days back in Woonsocket and had a chance to reset after a rough stretch of games. Quote, I get in a little trouble when I try to do too much. I've got to learn to just sit back and play my game. End quote. In a win over the Devils on the day after Christmas, Berard had his first NHL fight, going toe-to-toe with Ken Danico after he had knocked down Palfrey. Off the ice, Milbury fired assistant GM Darcy Regeer, who had been with the organization for years. The main cause of the split, according to sources, was Milbury's disrespectful treatment of players and frequent criticisms of them in the press, something Regeer was philosophically opposed to. The Islanders straddled 1996 and 1997 with six straight losses and a seven-game winless streak. A huge part of the problem was a power play that had dropped to last in the league. Through 37 games, they had scored only a paltry 17 goals in 158 man advantages. Bonus, still occasionally filling in for Milbury as head coach, put the players through a grueling 25-minute skate on New Year's Day. Berard had a goal in a loss to the Penguins on January 7th, then had an assist in another loss to Pittsburgh in the very next game. Despite the team's struggles, Milbury said Berard was going to be a great player even if he, quote, has you reaching for the Pepto-Bismol on occasion. Palfi, the team's only consistent offensive weapon, was named to the Eastern Conference All-Star team. But in a 4-2 loss over the Rangers that snapped their slump, Palfi injured his shoulder again and was forced to miss the showcase game. Milbury was expected to recommend 24-year-old defenseman Scott Lachance as a replacement as he was having a steady, mostly defense-focused season. As for his choice, Lachance went in a different direction, urging Milbury to choose Berard. Quote, 
Personally, I think my partner's had a pretty good year himself. He's shown as a rookie that he's got a tremendous amount of upside. He's got 25 points already. I wouldn't complain with Mike's pick, but I'd say my partner is more deserving. End quote. Lachance ended up playing in the game as the Eastern Conference beat the West 11-7. Berard collected three assists in the next three games, one each in losses to the Sabres and Blues and in an 8-1 blowout win over the Oilers. But then a shakeup took place. Milbury stepped down as coach after a meeting with new owner Spano. Rick Bonus took over full-time behind the bench, with Milbury concentrating on his GM duty. As with most things Milbury, mixed signals were everywhere. He claimed to have reluctantly stepped down, but also admitted to calling the meeting with Spano in the first place. Milbury claimed to love both gigs and, quote, wanted to have the whole enchilada, but also said that his, quote, higher calling was the building of a Stanley Cup champion. Right after the switch, the Islanders won two straight over the Whalers and Blackhawks. Against Chicago, Palfi scored his 30th goal of the season and Berard had an assist. Berard had another assist and a loss to Calgary, his fifth point in a six-game stretch. The Islanders then lost the next two in Vancouver and Edmonton to fully wipe out any good vibes they had going. Berard did get some power play time, but Bonus stuck with forward Marty McInnes at the point. The coach felt the 19-year-old prodigy didn't have enough experience in that slot. Bonus was open to having a weak side point man pinch in to create space, a tactic Berard said he had been trying to do all year. The coach was adamant, though, that a trade would not be made for a veteran point man because it would force every other defenseman's ice time to decrease. A win against the Mighty Ducks, in which Berard had another assist, was followed by losses to the Devils and Rangers. And yet, somehow, despite having a record of 6-16-1 in their previous 23 games and being 11 games under 500, the Islanders were only 6 points out of a playoff berth. How? Well, most of the rest of the Eastern Conference that season was ass too. The Whalers, Canadians, and surprising Senators were hovering around the 8th spot, with the Bruins, Lightning, and Capitals all sliding into irrelevance. Even with all the chaos, the Islanders had a chance to pull out a miracle with 27 games to go. They just had to hop over 6 or 7 teams to make it happen. Berard scored in their next game against Ottawa, but the Islanders could only manage a 5-5 tie. An assist in a surprising 5-1 road win in Pittsburgh came with a broken nose, courtesy of Penguins forward Dave Roach. Berard would miss no time. In a 1-0 overtime win over the Panthers three nights later, Berard had an assist on Claude LePoint's overtime winner. A 5-2 loss to Buffalo was a fight and penalty-filled mess, with Berard earning an assist and squaring off against shitster Matthew Barnaby in the third period. Going and starting out with King, and now it's going to be Brian Berard and Barnaby. They grapple along the boards. Barnaby gets off the helmet of Berard and starts firing punches in there. Berard trying to come back again. Barnaby grappling with Brian Berard. They jam in the corner and they're still going at it. Oh, and Barnaby fired an uppercut underneath. And the linesmen stand back and elect to let them go as they get to very close quarters and now go to the ice. And it's over. A win against the Penguins was followed by two losses to the Devils and Senators. After another loss to the East's worst team, Milbury lamented his players' lack of passion despite being only five points out of eighth place. 
Milbury had given his team one week, a five-game stretch, to prove that they had what it took to make the postseason. They went 2-3. and three. Berard had a goal and an assist in a 6-3 loss to Tampa Bay on March 4, 1997, another loss to another team that they were chasing. The next day, he celebrated his 20th birthday. By this time, and despite his team's struggles, Berard had become one of the favorites for the Calder Trophy as Rookie of the Year. Through 60 games, he had 6 goals and 31 assists for 37 points and was averaging over 21 minutes of ice time per game. Other candidates included Flames right wing Jerome McGinley, who had 21 goals and 47 points, and Jim Campbell of the Blues, who had 23 goals and 42 points. Milbury said Berard was, quote, the most proficient and prolific rookie in the NHL this season and called for him to win the Calder. Berard told Newsday's John Falenti, quote, I'll be honest with you, I look at the stats once in a while to see where they are, but we're in a playoff race, end quote. He said the same thing in a video interview from the time with student reporters from the Islanders' practice rink. You know, you're there. All right, uh, question five. You're among the leaders in rookie scoring. Uh, my thoughts are winning the Calder Trophy dancing in your head. Uh, it'd be nice to, to win that trophy. It would be, again, an honor. But uh, right now, I think uh, the big thing we're concentrating on is making the playoffs with four points out. And uh, we still have 16 games left. And, uh, Berard may have been looking towards the playoffs, but he was also concerned with giving the coaches what they wanted. Although he preferred to lead the rush instead of trailing it, he told Newsday, quote, that's the system here. That's the style the coaches want me to play. Once in a while, I like to try to carry the puck and lead the rush, but they would rather me follow up. That's all right. I've accepted the system. It's worked well for me, end quote. A 3-0 win over the Lightning put the Islanders into 11th place in the East with 14 games left. Berard had two assists in the game to give him 34 on the year, far and away the best among all rookies. They could have moved to within three points of eighth with a win over the Bruins, but lost 5-2. Berard tried to tie up Bruins forward John Neves Wah and ended up sending Wah into Islanders goalie Tommy Sallow, leading to a Boston goal 34 seconds into the game. A 5-4 loss to Chicago, behind a hat-trick by winger Tony Amanti, was especially frustrating for the undermanned Islanders. Berard said after the game, quote, We got so frustrated. We had two power plays out there where I don't think we had one shot. That's where you've got to score goals to get back into the game, but nothing's happening. You're trying to do things, but we can't even get a shot on net. That hurts you. I was ready to kill somebody. You know how important these games are, and it's not happening. End quote. They finally got some reinforcements at the trade deadline in the form of center Robert Reichel, who was acquired from Calgary for forward Marty McGinnis, a prospect and a pick. Reichel had twice scored 40 goals in a season and immediately combined with Palfi and Smolinski to form an explosive top line. The addition of Reichel helped the Islanders put together a five-game unbeaten streak, including four wins and a tie at the end of March. The string helped keep them close to the eighth seed even as the number of games continued to dwindle. One of those wins came against Buffalo at the Coliseum on March 26th. Tied at two in overtime, Berard broke in on a two-on-one with partner Brian McCabe and scored the game winner. Knowing some of the teams they were chasing had won or were winning in their respective games, Berard decided to abandon his defensive position and do what he did best, make things happen with the puck. Coach Bonus didn't sound too upset with the rookie's call. Quote, 
the confidence in that kid, the cockiness if you want to call it, to jump into a play like that, give the kid credit. He saw the opportunity to jump up, and he was going. That's a big goal for us. That's the type of player Brian Berard is. End quote. Berard was more blunt. Quote, we needed this win. We got it. End quote. They got two more in back-to-back blowouts over the Bruins. The Islanders flew to Dallas for a game against the Stars just one point behind the 8th place Senators. Before the game, the players were welcomed by new owner John Spano and his wife Shelby at their Tony Suburban Dallas home. On the menu was Mexican food, and the entertainment was a 10-piece band. Back in February, the league announced that Spano had finalized his purchase of the team. The dinner would be the highlight of the trip. The Islanders lost 5-4 to to the Stars on a goal by former Islander Benoit Hogue with 33 seconds remaining. Berard had three assists in the game, but was more focused on the lost opportunity. Quote, On the road against the hottest team in the NHL, to come in here and steal a point would have been huge, but to lose with 30 seconds left, it was like someone stabbed us in the heart. End quote. Sadly, one point out of eighth place would be the closest the Islanders would ever get to the playoffs that season. They would tie their next game, then lose three in a row. They only won one of their last six in total. Back-to-back losses to the Canadians on April 7th and 9th officially put an end to their probably quixotic playoff quest. Again, Berard didn't mince words in his description of what went wrong in the 3-1 loss to Montreal that made their elimination definitive. Quote, we tried to look for cute plays rather than putting it on net and going for rebounds, end quote. In a 3-2 loss to Tampa Bay on April 5th, Berard would net his 39th assist of the season, giving him two more than Dennis Potvin had in his Calder Trophy season of 1973-74. He would hit an even 40 in a 6-4 win over the Hartford Whalers on April 11th, the Islanders' final home game of the season. The 40 helpers were the second most by rookie defensemen in team history, behind only Stefan Persson's 50 in 1977-78. Berard was also only the second Islander defenseman since 1981 to play all 82 games as a rookie. As a team, the 1996-97 Islanders simply lacked the talent to be a playoff squad. They finished with a record of 29, 41, and 12 for 70 points making their chase for 8th place that year feel like a fever dream. The Canadians ended up claiming the 8th and final playoff berth, and finishing in 7th that year in the East, the Ottawa Senators. One bright spot was Brian Berard, who led all rookie defensemen with 8 goals and 48 points. He was named to the NHL's all-rookie team on June 2, 1997. So were Jerome McGinley and Jim Campbell, who along with Berard were named finalists for the Calder Trophy. Aginla finished with 50 points on 21 goals and 29 assists, while Campbell had 43 points on 23 goals and 20 assists. Philadelphia rookie Yanni Ninema matched Berard's 40 assists, and the two outpaced every other first-year defender by a mile. There was some question as to who the votes for the Calder would ultimately go to. Newsday's John Valenti wondered aloud if a bias had been formed by the Canadian press against Berard for how he had acted while with the Senators. Valenti said that writers in Ottawa called Berard arrogant and that he, quote, didn't win many friends north of the border with demands to be traded, end quote. His guess was that the Islander would miss out on taking home the trophy. Valenti noted that Berard had been, quote, 
polite, considerate, respectful, and mature with the media during his time on Long Island. And Berard himself admitted that he had a Calder winner in mind that wasn't him. Quote, if I was voting, I'd probably give it to a Ginla. End quote. The NHL awards that year were held in Toronto. And as he was for the team's games, New Islanders owner John Spano was expected to be in attendance. He was definitely confident Berard would win the Calder, even if it meant paying even more bonus money to the rookie. Spano told Newsday before the ceremony, quote, that will be an expensive trip. On June 19, 1997, Brian Berard was named the winner of the Calder Trophy as NHL Rookie of the Year. The win made him the first Islander since Mike Bossy in 1978 to take home the Calder. Berard's 501 total votes easily topped Aginla's 372. Berard earned 43 first-place votes to Aginla's 8. Campbell was a distant third with 173 total votes. Berard's acceptance speech was quick and complimentary, and he took the time to mention Red Wings defenseman Vladimir Konstantinov and team masseuse Sergei Minatsikhanov, who were gravely injured in a limousine crash six days after Detroit won the Stanley Cup. The winner tonight is Brian Berard. Brian Berard is the first New York Islander to win the Calder Trophy since Mike Bossy in 1978. I'd like to congratulate Jerome McGinley and Jim Campbell uh, for their great seasons. Uh, I'd like to thank the NHL hockey writers uh, for uh, voting me for this award. A special thanks go out to my parents, my brothers and sisters for all their love and support, my agent Tom Laidlaw, uh, and most important, you know, uh, a little nervous, I'm sorry about this, but uh, <clears throat> my, uh, I wanted to wish my best, of, uh, best wishes to Vladimir Konstantinov and the, the Detroit trainer, and I wish him the best. Thank you. In his 2019 autobiography, Relentless, Berard called his speech, quote, a disaster and said he got a lot of ribbing for it from his family. He admitted to not having really thought about having to give one and assumed that Aginla would win the Calder. Whoops. But the speech isn't that bad. The genuine emotion that Berard must have felt at that moment is still palpable today, even just watching on YouTube. Berard was obviously happy to win, but his goal was other hardware. Quote, the major thing, of course, is that I want to win the Stanley Cup. I want to shoot for the Norris Trophy. I really want to be the best. End quote. Berard did receive some Norris Trophy votes after his rookie season and finished 11th overall for the award. Also in Toronto was the Rangers' Brian Leach, who was named the winner of the Norris Trophy as the NHL's most outstanding defenseman. Leach had very nice things to say about his Islanders counterpart and the kind of poise he showed during his rookie season. Quote, he seems to be way more, a lot more confident than I was back then. I don't know if that is just on the outside, since I know how it was for me the first years, but it seems he is very confident in his game at both ends. End quote. Despite their third straight season out of the playoffs, there was optimism for the Islanders. There was Berard, of course, but also Zygmunt Palfi, who scored a career-high 48 goals, his second consecutive season of over 40. Goalie Tommy Sallow had some spectacular moments and looked like he could be a keeper. And then there was the new owner. Yeah, so about him. 
John Spano never actually showed up at the award show in Toronto. Eight days after Berard's Calder win, sources told Newsday that NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman had ordered Spano not to touch any team assets. Previous owner John Pickett told the league that he hadn't received his first $20 million payment for the club due two months earlier and requested the NHL hold an arbitration hearing to determine who owned the Chiefs. Spano was barred from running day-to-day operations pending the outcome of the arbitration. Spano hoped for a quick resolution and resented the idea that he was not the owner of the Islanders. He gave Milbury full autonomy to hand out contracts to whatever free agents he saw fit. He also sent a check for $625,000 to his Calder Trophy winning defenseman as part of his contract bonuses. As of July 31, 1997, Brian Burrard hadn't received the check. Had he never received it, per his contract, Burrard would have become an unrestricted free agent. Burrard, though, wasn't sweating it. He told Newsday, quote, I'm not concerned. I love the Islanders. I'm sure I'll get it. Brian Burrard gave Islanders fans a tantalizing peek into what could have been. His raw skills were dazzling. He came in exactly as advertised after two years of unparalleled hype. He was named the NHL's best rookie despite playing on a helter-skelter team under two coaches that never understood how to get the best out of him. It would be easy to look back now and say that not giving the Calder to a Hall of Famer in Jerome McGinley was a mistake. But anyone that saw Berard play that season knew that he really was a special player. It's just a shame we never saw that Mustang truly run. Islanders Award Winners is written, produced, and edited by Dan Saracini. Research and other assistance provided by Kevin Schultz. You can read more about Long Island hockey history at Kevin's project, lihockeyhistory.com, or at its Twitter account, at lihockeyhistory. You can also visit Kevin's shop at vintageicehockey.com, where you can buy t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs featuring logos of over 100 classic hockey teams. Use the code LIGHTHOUSE15 to save 15% off your order and donate a portion of the sale to the Center for Dementia Research in the name of Coach Al Arp. Brian Burrard's memoir, Relentless, My Life in Hockey and the Power of Perseverance, is available at Amazon.com and other fine booksellers. In it, along with co-writer Jim Lang, Burrard talks about his two stints with the Islanders, as well as the devastating eye injury that threatened to derail his career, his journey back to the NHL, his crazy time in Russia, the financial setbacks he suffered post-career, and much, much more. I highly recommend it if you're a fan of the man or the sport. Check out LighthouseHockey.com every day for your most up-to-date Islanders news and discussion, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a thing. Thanks for listening. See you next time.